Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. I just want to tell you that's the first time publicly some of you know about my family, but uh, that it's been stated that I'm the only non-felon in my family. But it, it does speak a little bit to our speaker, which is why I, who's not a felon, by the way. I also want you to know that uh, I've never had a speeding ticket in my life, and my four grown adult sons call me McGruff, if that tells you what their childhood was like. So after October 1st, I signed up to be a Metro volunteer, and um, I just want to tell you, you have Sergeant Bragg's Schrag's, uh, bio but I just want to tell you my experience as a Metro volunteer in the training, as I was accepted and then I was trained, like my compatriots over there, by Sharon Harding, who's sitting over there. And it's, um, you know, if you compare the video that came out early this week of catching those two murderers uh, and the shooting through the windshield because they were trying to kill the cop, um, what you need to know is that everything Sergeant Schrag and, and Sharon Harding do is the exact opposite. And it's all designed to keep that from happening. And so I can tell you categorically, and I want you to know that in all of my training as a Metro volunteer, it was all focused around peace, reconciliation, and love. Please welcome Sergeant Braden Schrag. It's going to be a little challenge for me. First of all, good afternoon. Uh, it's going to be a little challenge for me to stand still. Um, I legitimately have ADD. I've had about four cups of coffee so far this morning. And um, so if anybody needs Dramamine, this would be the time to pop a little. Uh, first of all, I want to thank, the, uh, first, thank Randy for the uh, invitation and everybody who has worked with me to bring me here and, and obviously the Rotary Club at large, uh, both this Las Vegas chapter as well as the other chapters throughout the valley. As I was preparing, kind of getting myself ready this, this afternoon, and as I walked in, I was sort of reminded of the four ways here. And as I read what is rotary on the bottom right-hand corner of the wheel, I looked and I said, what I do as a police officer and, and what I do in my role at the Office of Community Engagement is really no different than what you're doing every day. And I think it's really pretty special and pretty neat when we look at things throughout our valley, things throughout our community, and we oftentimes find ways to divide ourselves and segregate ourselves and find ways that don't bring us closer together. And one of the things that we do in the office community engagement is to break down barriers, much like the Rotary Club does, to help people, to provide health, wellness, and resiliency to communities. 
And that's one of the big things that I have done throughout my career. As you see, I've had a, a very fun career. I've worked in a variety of capacities um, uh, doing various things, which includes social work, pediatric mental health, and obviously in law enforcement. And that has allowed me to kind of shape and look at how I see the world a little differently. And it's been a lot of fun for me to be able to do that. What I want to do today is take you guys through a little bit about some of the philosophies and foundations behind your police department, and in particular, the Office of Community Engagement. Oftentimes, what we see are those you know, really flashy videos of maybe 30 seconds after an event or uh, the officer-involved shooting that we had, some of the heroics that took place on 1 October, and we see a number of recently officers doing lip-sync challenges. Um, <clears throat> which kind of shows our human side. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, when I take this uniform off or you know, take my uniform off, take the gun, take the badge, I'm a father. I have two children, uh, a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old. I'm a husband. My wife is a teacher here in Las Vegas. And this is my home. This is my adopted home. Like many of you, you may not have been born here. Some of you may have. This is where my children are born. This is my adopted family. And this is where I call home. And so I take this community and the ability to make impact and change very, very serious. And so I think it's very important for you as the change makers of this community and those that are going out and looking to find ways to impact, to realize that when you look at law enforcement, when we peel the layers of the onion back, it's more than just defensive tactics and driving fast cars and, and, and pulling our guns and these things that we typically recognize as law enforcement. We were talking just before I came up at some of the changing demographics that make up law enforcement and that has, has really transitioned and moved beyond that capacity that we typically think of. And I'm, I like to dote on this department and I like to dote on this community. I, I had the opportunity to speak around the country and, and, and internationally to, to audiences on a wide range of topics and I always find it amazing when people go, how did you do that? How were you able to get your community together and participate in the diversity? And I always remind them, I said, there's this really cool, neat, special, hidden secret I want to share with you. And they go, okay, yeah, what is it? And I like to provide a little theatric. So I bring them along on a little journey for a few minutes, just to, mostly because I like to laugh in here. Um, and it's on a one point of validation. So any of our statisticians in here, if there's just one person that agrees with me, even if it's the other alter ego inside my head, I'm having a great day. So I would always look, and, and after a few minutes of theatrics, say, it, it comes down to this. Hey, my name's Braden. I want to work with you. Let's partner. And sometimes it's that simple. and We oftentimes over-dramatize uh, over the, the simple opportunity to just shake a hand, sit down, break bread, or enjoy a cup of coffee. And I always would tell people there's two places more things get done than any others. Boardrooms are not it. It's over coffee and cocktails. Coffee and cocktails will get more done and solve more problems of the world than anything else. Because it's that opportunity that we get to know each other. We get to spend time with each other, get to know each other as individuals, not as a corporate or a, a giant organization or entity. Those things are all important, but at the end of the day, it's about human connection and human interaction. And those are some of the things that we work to do out of the Office of Community Engagement is to bridge those connections and fill those gaps 
that are there in communities that create a, a mosaic, if you will, that we're not letting people become set in an isolated myopic enclave of the community, but that we bring them out of the darkness. And we always tell people, everybody deserves a voice inside the police department. And the next few minutes are where my passion comes in. Every single person deserves a voice inside this police department, and everybody deserves equal justice. And the only way we do that is that we break down some of those barriers, and we as law enforcement take that step of leadership of reaching out to others. Because what oftentimes happens is people look at the police department and they see Mighty Mighty Metro or they see a blue uniform, a tan uniform, whatever mix-match uniform that organization happens to have. And everybody assumes that if we don't ask for help that we've got it licked, that we've got it all taken care of, that we have all the answers. And I'm here to tell you that we don't. We don't have all the answers. And so it's important that we constantly remind ourselves so one of the things that we do in our programming and the way we go about building uh, community capacity is we look at the notion of social identity. And what we focus in on is moving away from the us and them mentality and working towards that we, that mosaic that I mentioned, that we identify in groups and out groups and we find as many opportunities as we can to create an in group for everybody. As I mentioned, everybody deserves a, police, uh, a voice inside the police department. So we look and search around our community. How are people identifying themselves? Is it as a father? Is it as a police officer? Is it as a Las Vegan? Is it as a U.S. citizen? And so as we work with our immigrant and refugee communities, we work to engage with them to bring them out of those shadows and not have the same fears that they may have in their home countries where law enforcement and security forces are no more than a repressive aspect of a repressive regime. And so that same philosophy comes inside of our own communities where we have those who look and see an occupying force of law enforcement and we try to change that demographic and change that viewpoint of how we move forward. So it's all about building that community of trust. Without trust, there's very little we can do. And so how we do that is we take the notion of community policing practices or community-oriented policing practices. And the two things that I want to point out here are the use of partnerships and to proactively address. The rest of that is a big fancy definition that Police Executive Research Forum came up with. But really it comes down to proactively using partnerships and collaboration to address what's out there in the community. And we look at what a definition of a community, partner, uh, community partnership is, again, we see that word collaborative there at the beginning. It's about us working together. It's not about us and them. It's about we. And I think and I, as I listen to speaking with Randy and Tina and everybody else here today, that notion of we is a constant with you as well. It's about how are we going to solve problems? How are we going to come together? There's a traditional diagram that we look at when we look at community partnerships, and I think this this adaptation that I've put together uh, has a better representation and really applies across the board, whether it's the business world, government, uh, community organizations. And that is when you're looking at a leadership position and you're looking to engage with the community, the first thing we have to look at is community contact. They even know who we are. They know what we do. We have to get out there and spend the time. And so we encourage our officers to go out and spend the time. There has to be communication. 
We've got to talk to them, tell them about who we are. We have to tell them the things that we do. There has to be transparency, and so thus the opaque circles. The traditional model has an ABC model, which is community contact with an arrow to uh, communication that lends to trust. And when we're developing trust in communities, especially vulnerable populations, at-risk communities, it's much deeper, it's much richer, and it takes a lot more than just, hey, let me talk to you. There has to be honesty, that transparency. They have to know what's going on in your organization. They have to be a part of that organization. And the other thing about it is, in order to hold that trust up, we have to realize that there's an ebb and flow of communication and community contact. Early on in my career, uh, I was tasked with developing an overt counterterrorism program, a community-based counterterrorism program for the department. And it all had to do with building trust in communities that the police department frankly, did not have relationships with. Some of our more orthodox communities, our Muslim community, the Sikh community, those who, again, looking at social identity, were not identifying themselves with the police department. And one of my community contacts, I spent a lot of time working in particular with a Muslim community and building that relationship of trust. And I spent a lot of time with community contact and communication and a lot of transparency and working together and something happened. I didn't have a transition plan. Like all good government services, hey, um, you're doing a great job. We need to put you over here to do something else now. And we didn't have a succession plan. And as a result, the trust that I had built started to fall. Because my, as I sat behind a desk as a keyboard commando and a cell phone wizard, my community contact started to push to the side. And that communication ended up more in a digital context or in a very limited physical context. So the communication aspect started to fall aside as well, and trust began to drop. The great thing about it, though, is that when you've taken the time to build the foundation and you bring those things back together and you kind of come back to the root philosophies, trust can return, and we were able to do that with the given community. So as I look at this and I say, why is this important? Why is building communities of trust why is understanding social identity, why is building and, and creating this uh, avenue and, and uh, arena of, of resilience so important? Um, number one, we can't do it alone. We, the police department, I'm here to tell you, cannot do it alone. We need the help of every single one of you in this community doing what it is that you do in the capacity that you have to help this community. There are things that I can do as government. There are things that each of you can do as Rotary or as private citizens or through your businesses or other organizations that you represent, support, or community and civic groups that you're a part of that can impact positively our communities that in a way government can't or shouldn't. And so the thing that we always look at is, what do I need the community to do? I need you to help me identify the problems. I'm not an omnipotent, all-seeing being. Mighty Mighty Metro is a lot of places, and if you've traversed the strip, you see those beautiful cameras everywhere. But we can only be so many places at so many times. And this is where I ask of you, please help us identify some of those problems in the community. Bring them to our attention, and when we know about them, then we can begin to address them. And the second thing is I want you to be a part of the solution. I need you, not just want you, but I need you to be a part of that solution. And I'll touch on that a little later why, as to why that is so important. The Office of Community Engagement follows four basic principles. 
Outreach, education, awareness, and engagement. And obviously that last word, Office of Community Engagement, sort of sets the stage for the final piece. But that outreach is what we try to do every single day. It's the ability to get out and talk to people, introduce them to who we are. Education, the formal transference one way or another. As I mentioned, we don't know everything and we can't do everything, so we seek the advice and counsel from those experts, experts in the community. And so we ask that they come in and educate our officers, educate us. And awareness, much like we're doing today, I'm providing you with a good snapshot overview and a little delve dive into what it is your police department does, but providing that just basic level of awareness. And then the final piece, which is most important to me, is engagement. And that's that bi-directional activity of either having identifying projects, programs, or initiatives that we have and inviting you to be a part of them, or seeking the projects, programs, initiatives that you have and encouraging my way to be a part of them with you, um, or that collaborative effort that we're identifying and creating something that didn't exist before, that we're in routine contact with each other. The Office of Community Engagement is made up of several different pieces, parts, and aspects. Um, we have our, the section uh, portion in, in OCE that I'm a part of, which is the core team, which is community outreach, education, and redirection. And we work on a lot of gang prevention, human trafficking, um, uh, youth impact innovation type programs and projects. Uh, and we also have the other half of our team, the Fusion Liaison Officer Program, that works on countering violent extremism. So how do we take all facets, whether it's domestic or international, and build those relationships to, to help prevent? We have our Police Athletic League, which works to provide uh, sports programming, education, civic activities for our youth to engage with law enforcement and to be able to go out into the community, kind of sh reshape their vision of how they see the world, how they see law enforcement, and by changing their scope of vision, they have different thought process and by therefore having different action. We're also able to impact the parents and families of some of these youth in a way that we may not have before. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and before I get to the PAL slide, I just have to pause for a moment and say one of the, the most amazing things happened uh, in the last year with our Police Athletic League program, and that is one of the young ladies who's been a part of the tennis program that we do recently got a college scholarship for academics and sports full ride uh, to a, a university in the Midwest. And those are the kind of impacts that are happening, that this is somebody who may have otherwise gone down a path and ended up in an environment of continued cycles of violence, despair, poverty, and other parts and pieces that would have not been a, a good piece to the health and resiliency of the community. We have our Explorer program where we bring kids from around the valley in, teach them how to be police officers. It becomes a great recruiting tool for us. Uh, we have a lot of work that we do with the Hispanic outreach community, or with our Hispanic outreach, and as I mentioned, human trafficking, education, and outreach. One of the unique programs that your police department does on behalf of the community is proactive programming inside of the Clark County Detention Center. When you look at the criminality and the history of those who get involved in the criminal justice system, not always, but oftentimes, it's a repetitive pattern. As one of the young men that I, I would say young, but one of the men that I was mentoring inside of CCDC a couple of years ago mentioned to me, he said, hey, Sarge, I, I, I got to tell you, this is the first time in my life that I realize what it meant to be a man. 
I grew up in a family where everybody went to prison. Everybody was a felon. And I believed in my heart of hearts, he said, this is my third time, and this is going to be my last time. Because now I see that it's not, going to prison doesn't make you a man, it just makes you a better criminal. He says, I want to be a man and I want to be there for my daughters. About two months later, I got a six-page handwritten letter from him, and he said, hey, Sarge, I, I don't know if this will do anything or help you in your career, but you've done so much for me. I have a relationship with my daughters. I now have a relationship with my mom I haven't had in 10 years. But I want to let you know what you've done for me and other inmates like me. And it's one of those moments you look and say, all I did was go in and talk. And I didn't talk above or below. I talked right at. And having that means that when that individual then returns to our community, they're not going to be a predator. They're going to be taking care of their families. They're going to help with the health and resiliency of this community in a way that they wouldn't have prior. So we do that. We provide uh, parenting and leadership skills. Uh, this is on a weekly basis. We go in and we have done yoga and meditation in the past. And a lot of people, as you can see that picture on the right, that's about 140 inmates in total silence, the Clark County Detention Center, all doing yoga. We, our yoga instructor that was authorized to go in the jail has since moved from our community, unfortunately, and we're working to get a, a new one in. So if there's anybody that does yoga once, twice, fantastic. Um, two, all right, I got two, I got three. Give me three, three, can I hear three? No, two, two, all right. We're going to stick with two. Um, but those are some of the, and we've also provided health and nutrition, talking to people about what you put in your body and how that fuels you and the decisions that it helps or detracts you from making. Uh, and then we also do PSD reintegration uh, for those who have uh, impact, been impacted by significant degrees of, of PTSD, whether that's referring them to services as they come out or providing them with opportunities while they're inside the jail or getting them over to the Veterans Affairs. And I can tell you that when I, myself, and um, one of our captains on the department, she was a lieutenant at the time, uh, made this proposition, hey, we want to do uh, health and wellness and yoga and parenting and leadership to felony inmates. They went, what? <laughs> there were a few other words, but I'm sure you just let all that you fill them in. Uh, but they all thought we were crazy. The interesting thing about it, in the first 90 days of that program, there were zero infractions in that module that we were, when we did our pilot. Zero infractions. That's compared to the eight to ten a day that we're going on in a traditional module. So, as I mentioned, as you take and you reframe people's lives and you reframe how they think and you treat them as adults and not as animals, your output becomes different. And so what I ask and challenge of you is, and I don't think it's any stranger or you wouldn't be a Rotarian, is to encourage others to think beyond themselves and look to the individual as an individual. What they did is not who they are. What they did is what they did. Who they are and what they can become are two vastly different things. And so taking that message, and that's what we shared with them, is just because you did these things doesn't make you who you are. It's a part of you, but who you will become is dependent upon you. As I mentioned, our Police Athletic League, we work with kids between the ages of 6 
to 17 uh, from vulnerable populations. We have a few grants that we do. We work with uh, uh, Richard Steele. Uh, we do a boxing program. Uh, we work over at uh, the Boys and Girls Club doing a tennis program. We work out of the Stupac Center where we do a multi-sport program. But what that does is that brings officers in direct contact with some of our vulnerable youth, and we utilize sport, positive action training, and other activities to help get our kids to have a better positive interaction with law enforcement, provide them with new experiences and opportunities, and also kind of change the hearts and minds of some of our officers as they look to see people in a different capacity, which means their own compassion as they go back into the communities they serve is increased and has a better opportunity. I talked about our Explorer program. One of the programs I want to touch base with you on, and I know it was of particular interest to Randy because he had the opportunity to go through this training, is our RECAP program. And this is Reclaiming Every City Around Peace or Rebuilding Every City Around Peace. It's a collaborative effort between the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, our faith-based community, civic organizations, and others. And the premise behind RECAP is that if we look at violent events, and I don't have a whiteboard, but there are windows, so I don't see any whiteboard markers. Um, my office, if you come in, is all the whiteboards are filled, and the lone window I have uh, is filled with uh, whiteboard sessions. And so my folks always get upset or freaked out when I go, all right, I got something to say. And I start drawing. Um, but, uh, but what we do with RECAP is we bring those folks together, and when we have a violent event, so we say we have a homicide, and a particular gang-related homicide, you have an incredible amount of trauma that's occurring in the community at that moment. And then police come out, and we start our investigation, and that trauma and crisis for the community continues because everybody's on edge as soon as the black and whites show up. And then our investigators come out, and the medical personnel, and then we have the coroner's office, and then the body is taken away. And so we've started our community here, and we've brought them all the way up here. Well, traditionally what's happened is we've left the community. We just pull out, and we say, all right, cool. Y'all got this, right? All right, we're out. We pack up, and we take off. And one of two things happens with our community. Number one, they drop straight down. And oftentimes, if we leave them at that precipice, and they, and they fall, they're going to fall well below the original baseline. That, or they slide right back down to where they started which now the environment for retaliation is ripe. And that's oftentimes, especially in the gang community, what we see is that retaliatory violence. You hit Tukey, so I'm going to hit Ray Ray, and I'm going to hit Jose, and I'm going to hit Braden, and we're just going to keep going back and forth because I've got to represent out in the community. I've got to, nobody's going to disrespect me. And so what we do is we bring in our faith-based partners, former gang members, those formerly incarcerated, and we bring them out to the community after training, and what we work to do is move people safely beyond that moment and move them forward. And of the first 16 recap events that we've had for this calendar year, or the first 16 of this calendar year, we have no documented retaliatory violence after going out and conducting a recap event. And I'll explain a little bit about what those events are. So we have phase one and phase two activations. A phase one activation takes place in the first 24 hours of an event, and that's where we know that retaliation, the potential for retaliation is high. And we have trained violence responders that, um, violence reduction responders that actually will go to the hospital, they'll go out and meet with family members, they'll meet with other people in the community. If it's necessary, they may pray with them, 
if they're invited to, uh, but they will help bridge that gap between the police department and the community and give them a message of peace and non-retaliatory action. There's a phase three portion that goes along with this as well, which um, our faith-based partners, if they've built the relationship with the family, may actually host or hold and officiate the funeral. And in one particular case, one of our pastors was able to bridge the gap with, uh, he was, um, he's a former uh, gang member out of L.A., actually had done some prison time, had been shot, coincidentally enough, by the police as a youth because of some of his criminality, became a pastor and has been a, a dedicated servant to the community, was able to interact with this particular family in a way because of their own Hispanic heritage, Hispanic gang life, and he was able to not only understand but speak the same language and was able to work with the family that the new shot caller, the, the most senior person, was able to say, we're not going to move forward with retaliation. And so during the services, a bunch of the homies from L.A. came up, and he says, I've got it on his authority that you're not going to retaliate. And he stood up and gave a nod, and he says, the pastor's right. All those gangsters at the end of the service got up, packed up, and went home. And in that particular case, somebody's life was saved. That's somebody's family that's not in terror. That's a community that no longer has to be fearful that there's going to be additional bullets that are whizzing through windows. Or as in the case not too long ago where uh, the unintended target happened to be a three-week-old baby. Those are the things that we routinely deal with and work with programs like Recap that help to bridge those gaps and bring people together in a way that maybe we necessarily can't. So again, looking at I need you to help me identify the problems and most importantly, be a part of the solution. Well, we've all identified the problem is we may not, I'm a corn-fed Midwest college-educated white kid. There's just some people I ain't going to reach. So I need to find my partners that can help me get there, that can help me break those barriers down. We also work on recap proactive rallies where we go into dedicated hotspot communities in the neighborhoods, uh, communities and neighborhoods, and we set up shop. We bring out our mobile outreach vehicle. We may bring some pastors, maybe a jumpy house, set up a barbecue, and or other faith-based individuals or civic leaders, depending on that particular community, and we'll actually work on a proactive rally to bring community members out to start to engage with each other. An offshoot of that program has been what we have called Pastors and Pancakes, or Adopt a Neighborhood. Uh, one of our, uh, I, I wish I could take credit for it because it's pretty awesome, uh, but uh, one of our, our retired captains, uh, Rich Fletcher, was able to work with one of the apartment complexes uh, that had traditionally a high amount and level of gang violence and violent crime, married them up with a uh, faith-based organization that was not too far away and said, uh, faith-based, meet uh, apartment complex management. Y'all get to know each other and get along. Well, they started doing proactive rallies similar to this. They would do food drives. They would get the community out. Neighbors got to know each other. Kids started playing at the park again. And there was a period for a year where there was no violence. Nothing happened until about a year later. And the only thing that happened was there was an open driveway and two people were in a gun battle and just happened to come in there. And that was the violence the community was impacted by was something that had nothing to do with them. So the power of people working together is incredible. We do a lot of work with our Hispanic community in conducting outreach. 
As you can imagine, with some of the political environments as it relates to immigration law, some of the changes to immigration status, this becomes a very hot-button topic, especially to those who are most immediately impacted by it. And so we spent a lot of time over at the Mexican consulate providing training, helping them with uh, filing police reports and sort of breaking down some of the myths that exist within communities. Oftentimes, people who become vulnerable or, or, or who are isolated become vulnerable because they don't have the truth about what's going on. And so we work to break some of those barriers down. And through some of the work, we provide a safe space at the consulates to be able to educate people and give them the true facts and build bridges, which helps us uh, build a, a stronger community. Out of one of the uh, outgrowths of our Hispanic outreach is our Hispanic Citizens Academy, uh, where we take for about 45 to 50 individuals from the Hispanic community. Maybe some of you have been through the uh, traditional Citizens Academy, Metro Citizens Academy. We do the same thing for the Hispanic community, all taught in Spanish. Follows very much the same pattern and background, but it gives us a chance to reach the community, create new volunteers for Sharon, provide our advocates back out into the community because now they know what the police department actually does. Um, and we actually had our 10th anniversary of this program earlier this year, and it was our 19th, 19th or 19th uh, overall uh, academy. So it was pretty amazing. So in that time, we've been able to impact uh, a good number of people throughout our community. One of the newest activities that we're doing as a police department is called LEAD, which is Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. And LEAD is an alternative to incarceration. What we're identifying is people in the pre- arrest stage who are impacted by opioids and other drugs and looking and saying, putting you into jail is not the most appropriate thing. You going to jail may not or may not be the most appropriate thing. So we take and have folks brought back. Uh, we work with service providers to provide them uh, opportunities to get into treatment before they go into uh, incarceration. What ends up happening is for those impacted by opioids, if we take away their drugs and put them in jail, they start to detox and oftentimes they're afraid to say anything. So what ends up happening is when they do get out, they're below their kind of, they, they, what they call being sick, so they're below their baseline and they'll go out, commit more acts of criminality and then oftentimes may end up overdosing and in some cases dying just because they're having to kind of refeed that habit. So it's a different way for us to address the problem and looking at it from a public health standpoint rather than from a criminal justice. And just real quick, and we'll, I know you guys have tight timelines. Um, one of the, the, the newest things we're currently working on is an outdoor and leadership program. We're working with the uh, Friends of Red Rock um, Canyon Foundation, uh, the Bureau of Land Management, Red Rock Conservancy. And what we're looking at is those same kids that we work with our PAL program is uh, through this developmental program is getting these kids out, providing them with leadership uh, and expansion opportunities out at Red Rock Canyon. It's the first time anything like that's been done in our valley. But these are some of the things that your police department, along with some of these deliverables and developments up here, is able to do on a regular basis is we're pushing the boundaries. And as our undersheriff told me when we were creating this program, he said, Braden, I want you to push against the edges of this community. I want you to push against the edges of this department. Because when you move as you've done over your career and make people uncomfortable, that's where we have the opportunity for growth. We don't grow if we keep doing the same thing we've always done because we'll be at the same place we've always, always been. 
So as just a quick snapshot, these are some of the things we do. And here's that piece that I mentioned, and I'll, I'll end on this. Um, uh, and and I, I will say, if any of you ever want me to come out to your organizations and speak, I give me four or five hours and grab some cocktails. I mean, you guys have cocktails. I, I can't, Sharon. I, I, I'm armed, so I won't. Um, but, uh, but the greatest chance for success that we all have, and I encourage you as you look at the Rotarian activities that you do or just in your own life, the greatest chance for success and for statement for our community comes with three pieces. That's the involvement of government, our community, and the private sector all at the same time. So when we look at the notion of uh, some of these programs, like our drag program or the, the legit, which is ladies and gentlemen in training, it's working with the private sector, with the government, and some sort of nonprofit. And those three aspects, when we combine them, provide the assets and resources necessary to truly impact and sustain programming that we have throughout the community. I'd like to thank you all for your time today, and um, I look forward to any questions. Sergeant Shrink, thank you so much for coming in today. I'd like to present you an award, that, uh, the Share What You Can Award, and we are going to donate a meal to a needy veteran in your name. Wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Uh, Sergeant Shrink will be here after the meeting for anyone who has questions. Um, thank you. Um, if you're attending the Alpine picnic, um, I'd like you to help support our People of Action campaign take action photographs and take some video and um, uh, send them to Kirk Holmes so that we can put them up on our website and our uh, People of Action campaign. So as we leave here today, uh, let's go forth into the world in peace. Let's be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all persons and love and serve each other, rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Be people of action. Be the inspiration. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.